Welcome to McKnight's Senior Living Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. Hi, this is Lois Bowers, editor of McKnight Senior Living, and we're here today with Nancy Swanner, who, among her many titles, is the founding director of the Granger Cobb Institute for Senior Living and an associate professor in the School of Hospitality Business Management in the Carson College of Business at Washington State University. Dr. Swanner, thank you for making the time to speak with me today. Thank you, Lois. I'm thrilled to be invited. And that that whole string of titles is kind of a big giant mouthful. It doesn't fit well on a business card, I'll tell you that. I can imagine. <laughs> I was reading about all of your experience in the restaurant industry as an owner and operator, among other roles. So I was wondering how you became interested in senior living. Well, uh, like every almost everyone that I've ever visited with, they fell into senior living quite by accident. They really had some other thing going on in their life. And in my case, in my personal life, my husband and I have been uh, restaurant operators for almost 40 years. But my academic world, when I made that switch over, I've been teaching in a hospitality school. And so I still have my fingers in the hospitality business per se, but I'm not necessarily, you know, I'm, I'm not the manager operator of the restaurants that we still have today. So in terms of making um, that leap from restaurants to to senior living, I didn't do that. That's not been an operational leap for me. That has been, uh, I was the director of the hospitality school for about 10 and a half years at, at Washington State. And ours is the third oldest hospitality program in the country. We've been around since 1932. And we, I, I had some, some operators from the Puget Sound area uh, in Northwest Washington that approached me and said, hey, you've got this great hospitality program and um, we've got some senior living operations and I think we should be collaborating. And I had zero idea what that even meant. (laughs) Uh, My parents were in their 80s, still living in their own home. And in my, you know, very narrow paradigm of the world, I, all I could think about was skilled nursing, nursing homes. And I thought, I'm not seeing this big giant leap here of how we're going to go from hospitality to senior living, but sure, I'll listen. Here we go. So, so, and and then I drank the Kool-Aid and it's, you know, it's been a wonderful ride ever since, but it's, it's really been an academic shift and focus for me, not an operational shift. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, you knew Granger Cobb, is that correct? I did. And, I did. um, so what is it like to be the founding director of an institute named for him? Well, it, it is really an honor and a privilege and a blessing. And I think those who were fortunate enough to know Granger, um, he had a heart the size of Manhattan. The guy was just so warm and genuine and so um, passionate about this industry. And um, I, it, it, it reminds us every day of the standards we need to uphold. I think it you know, puts a little bit of burden on. We don't want to ever do anything in the work that we're doing to, to discredit his name or, or not honor him in some way. So it is sort of this um, arms wrapped around us as we do this is how I would sort of describe it to make sure that we try and do it the way we're supposed to be doing it. So we, we have a lot to live up to by having his name. And actually, I'll tell you, on a lot of our printed materials and a variety of things, we actually have his signature. We've incorporated his actual signature into a lot of our um, work. And so you see that every day and it's like, hmm, yeah, this is a, this is Granger Cobb. We better pay attention to the details and get this right. Wow. 
So the Institute is part of the School of Hospitality Business Management. Um, what do you think the senior living industry can learn from the hospitality industry? Well, I I think a lot of things. And, and, and I think w- one of the things is, is that, you know, um, in, in hospitality, we, we are very much about, you know, creating experiences for people that, you know, that they they aren't able to maybe or want to create on their own, you know, even just as something as simple as, you know, going out for a sandwich, everyone can make a sandwich at home, why are they going to go somewhere and pay money um, for a sandwich? Well, it's it's the ambiance, it's the experience, it's the person you might be dining with, it's the it's the uh, servers, it's a variety of things in those relationships that matter. And so I, I think the exact same holds true in senior living, I think, I think care partners, and and other staff and the executive directors or GMs and all of those people, med techs, everybody that interacts with a resident on a daily basis and even the other residents, there are opportunities to make their day just a little bit better by going above and beyond. And and I think I think that's where where the intersection between the hospitality and the healthcare piece comes together. And a whole lot of those things don't cost a dime. Great operators have figured this out, uh, and they've hired the right people and put them in places with their residents to create these very um, meaningful experiences along the way throughout a day that they might not even realize are happening, but could make a huge difference to the resident and or their family. Well, on the flip side, what do you think the hospitality industry could learn from the senior living industry? Well, I think one of the things is, and I, you know, when we, when I think about hospitality, sometimes it's um, in the, on the hospitality side, we do everything for everybody, right? In some ways. Well, you know, that's not the best approach in senior living. In senior living, you you want you want to create experiences, but you want those residents to come alongside of you um, because you want them to maintain their independence, their dignity, their quality of life along the way. And I think one of the things that sometimes we do, we could do possibly in 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 hospitality is overserve. And I know that sounds weird. But there could be there there could be some limits or parameters around what we're doing for meaningful experiences for people. Were they not not that we wouldn't continue to do those, but that we should roll those um, those guests into that experience to come right along with us and help us create that, as opposed to just doing it all for them. As you know, medical health care is becoming a greater part of senior living than it was in the past, um, and senior living probably was more uh, focused on hospitality uh, alone without the healthcare component, but how else has the industry changed since senior living began being taught at your institution? I think one of the biggest changes, and it's probably a little bit societally, as, as I, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm 64 years old, so I'm on the younger kind of the tail end of the baby boomers and the baby boomers perception of what, what that industry is was probably very much what I said earlier about, you know, our grandmas or grandpas, if they couldn't be at home with family, they were in a nursing home. And that was not a good or pleasant experience. As an example, I have I have millennial children. And my mom, uh, after my dad passed away a few years ago, my I'm not retired. My mom um, never even learned how to drive. And so I could not leave her in her home alone. And so I moved, we moved her down here and she lived in a community uh, near where I work. And so I, be, so I transitioned a bit and became the adult daughter of, of a resident. But because of that, 
my kids who were in the area, my adult children in the area, they, they went there to see her all the time. And so they have a very different perception about about what this industry is or what it might mean. And I think and I think we're seeing that more and more. So the students that I have in class now, the sort of the traditional, you know, 18 to 22 year old may have already been in a senior living community because they've got a a loved one there. And or I have several who've, you know, maybe that was their first job. They were, you know, they were doing some stuff in food and beverage or, you know, maybe got a CNA through high school and and now we're, you know, care partners, whatever it might be. So so I I I think I think there's a, a shift um, that has occurred over time of being that very strict 24 seven medical model nursing home to a, a more holistic experience. But that is also, I think, um you know, the industry itself is transformed in that, you know, people aren't waiting just till they need 24-7 skilled nursing care. You know, many years ago, they started into this notion of, well, okay, well, I could be an independent living resident, but if I'm an, an assisted living resident, there are options for me to get some additional care. Now, I do think the level of acuity has increased, and I think you're seeing some of those health services pushed further down into communities uh, that that maybe hadn't been there before. And I don't actually see that really going away. I see the industry finding a way to deliver those services to residents in, in, you know, AL communities or, or where, whichever level they're in um, much, much longer and sort of delaying what might end up being 24 seven skilled nurse nursing or, you know, hospice care. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned students, and I was going to ask you, um, do you think the senior living curriculum attracts students to the university or the college or the school, or is it, or is the industry more likely to be something they find out about once they're there? I, I think at this point, it's the latter. Uh, you know, I want it to be the other way around, um, but our, our we, this has been a work in progress, really. These, these industry folks that I talked about who, who started this, uh, it, was, it was Jerry Meyer, who was the, at the time COO of Aegis Living. It was Bill Pettit, uh, president of Merrill Gardens. It was Tana Gall, who was the um, president at the time of Leisure Care. And then it was uh, Granger Cobb, who was the CEO of Emeritus. Um, when they came, it, that started all in about 2009. And those conversations started, we created a course, um, we did some things, but it's taken us a long time to get where we are. And I tell you that part of the story, because we've actually only had a major in senior living since the fall of 2020. Um, and, you know, that wasn't the best time to be starting a major in senior living. Uh, so we... Um, what we've had now during that time, but before the major started and, and where we started with those early conversations, we created a, a, at the time was just an elective course as an offering in the hospitality school. Uh, that was kind of an introduction to this whole industry. And they, they flew over, uh, you know, the mountains from the West side of 
Washington to the east side of Washington to teach the class. I had no clue. I could I could write up a syllabus and herd the cats and get them to class on time, but I, I couldn't teach the content. And they did. They they sent company executives over all the time. And so for that elective course during that time, we've probably put over, which is now one of the or is the first course in the major sequence, but we've we've probably put over 700 students through that class. So um, and those those all had to be people who were not majors in senior living because we didn't have it. So interestingly enough, what it has done is um, there there are several of those students who were in that class that then discovered there was there might be a career opportunity for their major that they hadn't even thought about. And so we do have several students that are out placed in the industry, former students, um, but that don't actually have the have the degree. And so the students that actually come in, came in starting fall 20, their first you know, option to graduate would actually bring, be spring 24. And so we are starting to pick up a little bit. We now have about 15 or 15 to 20 students who are somewhere in the system that have said, okay, I do want to, I, I think I want to pursue this as a major, but whether they're doing that on the front end or after they've been here for a little bit, um, I'm not sure we know that. We also have a minor in senior living management, and we have already grad. That one started fall 21, but easier, shorter to get, of course. And we have actually graduated three students in with a minor. And then we have an online on-demand non-credit-bearing certificate program. Okay. What kind of students do you think are attracted to go into the program or into senior living as a career? Well, I think... I think it's primarily, well, I think it's a lot of people, you know, I think it's people with varying interests. Um, you know, like we had a young, a young man in our, in our spring session of this class that was in construction management. Well, interestingly enough, his family uh, is building and uh, developing senior living communities. Well, okay, that was a nice fit. So it was about a tie of, of his major to, to that area. But in terms of people who want to go out and be in community operations, I think it's about, you know, you have to have the right heart. Um, you know, you can come from lots of areas, uh across various majors, minors, whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, you better have an affinity for an aging population. And that that all comes from the heart. And I think that ties very closely to what we already do in, in hospitality. I can I can teach you how to make a bed and I can teach you how to, you know, make a sandwich and I can teach you how to make change. What I can't teach you how to do is care. And that's the same, that holds very true for senior living. If you don't care doesn't matter what I teach you, this isn't the place for you. Um, and so I, I think a caring heart and, a, and an affinity for that population and just the general desire to be of service and help others. So you recently were named to the board of trustees of the Vision Center, which is working to create university and college programs and facilitate internships to prepare future generations of aging services leaders. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, And as you know, recruiting and retaining workers is a top challenge for the industry. So what are your hopes for the Vision Center? Well, I'm I'm hoping because it is a crackerjack group of people. I'm really honored to be included. I have to tell you that. But it's, you know, it's a Doug Olson has done a great job of of bringing the key industry people, some key industry partners, and some key academic partners together into the same space to try to build this out. And where what I really see my role as um, is is helping us build out other academic programs across the country. No one university is going to handle this work 
I don't care how many graduates you turn out, you are not solving this one on your own. This is one of those things, and I'm as competitive as the day is long. I just should throw that in there. But we aren't we aren't going to win by operating in a silo in this space. So if I'm I'm hoping, you know, the the program we have is um, uh, different. It was the first of its kind in this country that was housed in a hospitality school in a college of business. So I guess what I hope to do is lend some um, help for other, you know, similar programs, whether, you know, starting sort of with the low hanging fruit of other hospitality programs and saying, look, this is a natural extension of your product line. Let's figure out how do we repackage some of the things you have? What do you need to create? How can how can I maybe help? Um, navigate you through this process because the need is there and what you're already doing in your hospitality program fits very nicely. So I, that's what I see as my role, but really helping to build out and maybe create some templates and some how to, cause I didn't have any of that. Uh, it was fly by the seat of my pants and listen to the industry. Thank God they just steered us the right direction. Um, and um, but, but to provide some tools and support for people uh, in programs who want to grow and develop and get into this space because it's where all the demand's going to be. You know, I tell young people, you know what, for the next 40 years, you can write your own ticket. You do anything in the aging space, you can write your own ticket um, because the demand is there. And congratulations also on being named to the United Nations Healthy Aging 50 list in 2022. I understand you were one of only four people in the United States to be recognized for transforming the world to be a better place to grow older. Um, What do you think needs to happen for the world and especially the United States to be a better place to grow older? Well, thank you for acknowledging that. I was shocked is probably the best word and humbled and so honored uh, to be to be recognized. But I think, you know, the, the entire world is in crisis with their aging population. This is not this is not a U.S. centric issue. Right. There are several countries around the world that are probably in deeper trouble than we are. I think about China. I think about India. Um and what do we need to do? I think that I think there are several things we need to do. Um, we first of all, we need to we need to get rid of the ism word uh, and embrace uh, an aging population and realize that some of the solutions to these problems may be may be with that population in and of itself. In you know, they, that is a group that's going to need going to need um, some places to live, some things to do and have a lot of years left in their life that they may be able to contribute back to their society. And I think in the U.S., we've got to get out of that mode that, oh, well, you're 65 and, you know, you're you're done, you're retired, collect your social security, which may or may not be there. Um, and, 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 you know, just go away quietly. Well, you know, that's, an, you, I, I'm gonna, for me, that's another third of my life. I still have to live. I'm not going anywhere uh, if I have anything to say about it. And so I think we, we need to embrace some of that. I think we need to, um, we have older people with so many skills and talents that could be mentoring younger people or mid-career changers or young people, intergenerational type experiences. All of those things, I think, matter. We also need to look at some things related to some immigration reform, uh, related to, you know, this, these workforce challenges. Um, it's real. And I, and I don't even want to say that and make it sound like it's some big political spin because it's, it's really, it's not, uh, you know, my understanding there's a clause in a certain visa statement that if we just rechange the phrasing just slightly, 
we could open up some opportunities for people um, with their visa status to come in and, and, and come to work in our communities. We, we have to do something. We have to do something. And um, and doing nothing isn't isn't going to be, you know, helpful, nor is, you know, the old saying of, you know, hope is not a strategy. So I think we have to become more proactive uh, in, in some of the things we do, both as operators, uh, trade associations, uh, vendor partners, and then just sort of as citizens. We've got to realize if, if you're breathing, you're aging. And that's a really great thing because the alternative to that means you're not going to be blessed with aging. And so how do we become more active participants in our own lives, in our own communities to embrace this for what it is and the opportunity it can create? Is there anything else you'd like to mention that we haven't discussed so far? Oh, wow. Um, you've, you, those were really thought-provoking questions. Uh, many I have never been asked. So thank you for that because it's forced <laughs> me to think about those a little bit differently. You know, the only other thing I, w- I, I guess I would like to say is I, I just want to stress how grateful I am for the industry partners who have, have helped us along the way with the work that we're trying to do. We have a, an active steering committee. We have a strategic plan. We have we have just had industry partner involvement, um, which also includes some association members, some vendor partners from day one to help us guide this. Because um, I, uh, this uh, you will, uh, will come full circle. My background's restaurants. My background is restaurants and my degrees are in education. How did that link me here? I have no <laughs> idea. But I was, you know, grateful, gratefully um, able to, you know, recognize an opportunity and listen to those fab four folks that came and talked to us early on and listen to them. And we still listen to them. And, um, and I think that's a key to all of this is just remaining so closely tied to the industry and, um, and working with them to help everybody get this right. Well, thanks again, Dr. Swanner for speaking with me today. Thank you. This is Lois Bowers, editor of McKnight Senior Living, and we've been speaking with Nancy Swanner, founding director of the Granger Cobb Institute for Senior Living. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Senior Living Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in senior living news, visit McKnightSeniorLiving.com.